0: Big welcome back to uh, Canada from all the way from from Kenya. Secrets away for a whole month there and hopefully in the next uh few weeks we can get a little update on how Calvin and Nicole are doing uh, If you don't know the church um heavily supports a missionary family all the way in Kenya, and uh Daniel and Gordon were just there for a whole month hanging out with them and their ministry there so uh Looking forward to seeing how they are doing. Uh, we're going to talk uh, today about Holy Week. This is actually the beginning of Holy Week, and throughout Christian tradition, both, both in the Western and the Eastern Church, um, we are starting to celebrate Holy Week as we move in. Today is Palm Sunday, and uh, Holy Week comprises of Palm Sunday, or sometimes known as Passion Sunday. And then we got Holy Monday, and Holy Tuesday, and Holy Wednesday, also known as Spy Wednesday. Dun, dun, dun. And then we have Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then Holy Saturday, or Black Saturday. And then next week is Easter Sunday. And so I just want to do um, kind of a bit of an overview of Holy Week, mostly focusing on Palm Sunday and Good Friday to prepare us for next week being uh, Easter Sunday. And so it is... uh, Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday, as D- Daniel explained a little bit, is this, this idea of Jesus coming into, into Jerusalem, and, and the crowd that is with them are just super stoked. They're happy. They're throwing out palm branches and cloaks and, and all kinds of things as he's entering Jerusalem. And so it says in Matthew 21, now when they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples telling them, go to the village ahead of you. Right away, you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, you are to say, if anyone says anything to you, like, don't take these donkeys, you are to say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. And I don't know why, this always reminds me of like Star Wars. You know when they're like, the Lord needs them. If you're a Star Wars fan, you'll get that. Uh, But... But there's most likely the Holy Spirit whispering into this, this guy's heart, it's, you, know, you know, someone's going to need these, these two donkeys. And so there's two of them. And, uh, and so this took place to fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet. So this is pointing back to the Old Testament, would have been the scriptures that the folks in Jesus' they had, had the Jewish Old Testament. Tell the people of Zion, that's Jerusalem. Look, your king, this would be the Messiah they were hoping for, is coming to you unassuming and seated on a donkey and a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And so these two donkeys, um, so it's kind of interesting. I mean, Jesus walked from way up in Galilee with a gigantic crowd of people into Jerusalem because it's Passover season. And, and thousands and thousands and thousands of people would march to Jerusalem. It was the biggest festival of the year. And the, the city would be packed. In fact, there was, the city would be so full that people would camp out on the, the mountains and the surrounding area. And so Jesus would have been traveling with a very large group of people into Jerusalem. And all these people from Galilee. And, and Jesus, as he gets to the Mount of Olives, decides at that moment, even though he's walked for days that he wants to do this final little stretch on a donkey. And he does this very purposeful. I mean, it wasn't because he's like, oh, I'm tired, I don't want to walk anymore, get me a donkey. Um, And that's not why. Jesus, at this point, is making a very clear declaration to everyone that he is the Messiah. I mean, Jesus could have walked in silently, (laughs) Uh, but he chooses to ride in a donkey because of this prophecy, and those who were well versed in their scriptures back in those days would would realize that if someone 's marching into Jerusalem on a donkey that they are proclaiming themselves to be the messiah and the Jewish people of that day were were hoping for longing for this Messiah figure to come and to be this military and political ruler because They were under Roman occupation. The Romans ruled at that time. And they were waiting for this Messiah to come in and kick out the Romans and restore God as head and kind of this military political leader. And so Jesus comes in on a donkey. But it's interesting, the very next verse in Zechariah, this is where the prophecy is from, talks about how jesus is going to bring end to war and he's going to bring in peace and and so this is what they were hoping for but as we know if we know anything about jesus he does everything backwards and upside down and completely different from what we or they actually expected he's not coming in to be a military leader he's actually coming in to be crucified on a cross And so it says, so the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. And that is just a tradition that goes back to the Old Testament. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The book of John tells us specifically they were palm branches. And and we have these ancient coins that have been dug up with palm branches on them because palm branches were a symbol of Jewish nationality and victory it was it was like their flag it was like yeah we're the best and we're awesome and one day the messiah is going to come and rule and so palm branches were a symbol of that and all the people as they saw jesus coming in this last little bit in the donkey realized what jesus was saying he is the messiah and so in under with our jewish victory palm branches we're going to lay them down and we're going to be super happy that the messiah has finally come and it says, the crowds that went ahead of him and those following kept shouting, Hosanna, which, uh, which means save us. Uh, but by Jesus' day, it just kind of meant like, we worship you. We worship you. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And as he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was thrown into an uproar saying, who is this? Which for us sometimes is a weird question. Like, what do you mean? They didn't know who Jesus was? <laughs> it's like, all these people are like, yeah, you're the Messiah. Like the people of the city are like, who is this guy? And sometimes we don't realize this is Jesus spent very, very little time in Jerusalem. He spent pretty much all his ministry in Galilee and kind of northern territory. He spent very little time in Jerusalem. I think it was only just during Passover that he would come maybe once a year. And so the Jerusalem people didn't even know who really who this guy was, really. And they're like, who is this? And the crowds were saying, uh, the crowds that were with Jesus were saying, this is the prophet, that is the Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And so that is Palm Sunday as Jesus comes in. He announces that he's the Messiah. The whole city's in an uproar, it says. And then we come to Holy Monday, which is just kind of a celebration of some of the various teachings Jesus did on Monday. And then we got Fig Tuesday. That's when you pull out the Fig Newtons. Uh, And this is a day where we remember, you know, the idea, if you've read through the Gospels, where Jesus comes across this wilted fig tree, and, and he uses it kind of as a teaching moment with his disciples. That happens on Tuesday. And then we get to Spy Wednesday. Uh, Now, why is it called Spy Wednesday? Because this is the day where Judas uh, goes to the religious leaders and works out a little deal for some money to to capture Jesus. And uh, in Matthew 26, it says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And so Judas is just, he's like, maybe I can work out a deal to get money. Some think he was kind of money hungry. Others think that Judas, spent three years with Jesus, is like, what is with this Jesus guy? He's supposed to be the Messiah, but he's not doing anything. You know, he's supposed to be the political you know, military leader, and he's not doing anything, and something that Judas was maybe trying to force the hand of Jesus to finally come out and, you know, start his military battle. We don't know what was exactly on his heart, but we know it was in the wrong direction, and so he ends up betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So, in church tradition, that happened on the Wednesday, and then we get to Monday, Thursday, or Holy Thursday, and this was the night of the Last Supper. This is when communion uh, was was instituted for the church and becomes a sacrament. J- Jesus says, "Do this in remembrance of me." And on that night with his disciples, it says he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, "This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood." which is poured out for you. And they wouldn't have understood what, really what that meant at that time, but soon enough they, they would. Now the word Monday is actually the Latin word for commandment. And so in English it's to be Commandment Thursday. Because this is when Jesus gives the new command, what, what I call the one command, the one main command of Jesus. And the one main command that the rest of the New Testament says this one command sums up the entire law. It is called the royal command. It's the one thing out of all the things we could possibly do that we must work on and do well on because this is like the main deal, the main thing for Jesus. The Monday, Thursday, the Commandment Thursday, where he says, A new commandment I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you go to church or you know have a jesus bumper sticker no it's if you love one another this is to be our scent if you will this is to be us as followers of jesus that when people bump into us the first thing they sense is is love and sadly we don't always do the best at that but we try we try here and this is why If you're new here, you'll realize this church is super diverse. We have lots of kinds of different folks and different theologies because we're trying this really messy thing called, like, love is the most important thing uh, over other things. And so it doesn't always work out, but we're trying. But uh, we're trying to shoot for the the Monday Thursday, the Commandment Thursday. And then we get to Good Friday, and we want to kind of focus in on this, Uh, sometimes known as Holy Friday. Or Black Friday. And this is the story behind Good Friday. It begins with Jesus' betrayal in the garden and, and, and of his disciples. In Mark 14. And so after, after Last Supper, they all go towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And it says, On the way, Jesus told them, All of you will desert me. Peter said to him. Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others about the same. But we know what happens. Peter ends up denying Jesus and the other disciples, they all run away. You know, sometimes we can be a little overconfident in things. And this is why it's important that we be humble with the things we say and act in. Because he's like, I would never depart." to, you know, I'm the perfect Christian. I will always obey and I'm totally surrendered. And the next moment you like gossip or do something, you know. That's that's kind of the story of us as Christians sometimes, the story of the disciples. And that's how Good Friday begins. And so, and and then they go to the garden and Jesus, he knows what's coming. I mean, he just instituted communion where he said, this cup is going to represent my blood poured out. And, and Jesus, uh, we, we know his, his, in, in theology, it's called the hypostatic union. Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person. And the humanity of Jesus, knowing that the crucifixion is coming, I mean, is, is freaking out, if you will. In Mark 14, Jesus prays this in the garden. He prays to God. Uh, he prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. And he says, Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And the godness of Jesus, of course, this is all part of his plan. It's all part of his will. But the humanity of Jesus is like, I really don't want to do this. And, and you know, we know this on like really small levels, you know, sometimes that we know we have to do something, but we don't want to. We know it's the right thing. We know it's the godly thing. It's the Jesus thing. It's the kingdom thing that maybe I got to love this person, but the humanity in me is like, I really don't want to love this person. I mean, this is what Jesus is wrestling with. He, he knows the cross is all part of the plan and, and it's all part of his will, but he's like, in the humanity, he knows that there is a dumb truck load of pain coming. And so he is like, Father, if it's possible, please take this. But I'm just reminding you that this, 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 this is the way. And, and then, uh, after his prayer, finally Judas arrives on the scene. Judas, one of the twelve disciples, arrives with his club, a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They have been sent by the leading priests, uh, the teachers of religious law, and the elders. And so the whole religious system was, was very much against Jesus. They wanted him gone. Because Jesus came in, he proclaims himself to the, be the Messiah, and all of Jesus' ministry, Jesus is doing the exact opposite thing that they think the Messiah should be doing. I mean, Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and he's, he's healing people and messing up things on the Sabbath and, you know, breaking certain Old Testament laws, and Jesus says, well, you've heard it say in the Old Testament, but I say to you, and, and this is really making the religious system mad, so they're like, we need to kill Jesus, so they hook up with Judas to make this little plan, and finally they get to execute it. So the traitor Judas had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. Because a lot of these people are from Jerusalem. Maybe they didn't know what Jesus looked like. Maybe it was dark. We don't know. Then you can take him away under guard. As soon as they arrived, Judas walked up to Jesus. Rabbi, he exclaimed, and gave him this kiss of betrayal. And then, of course, they come to arrest him. And it says the others grabbed Jesus and arrested him. But one of the men, other Gospels tell us this was Peter, uh, when Jesus pulled out a sword and struck the high priest's slave, and he slashes off the, the ear. And Peter's just like, you know, I'm, I'm never going to leave you. And he, try, he has a good attempt to protect Jesus. And he cuts off the ear of this high priest's slave. And, and again, Jesus does everything backwards. Maybe the disciples think, now is the moment, Jesus, where you've got to stand up and become this mili- military political leader and show them your wrath and you, how much you hate these people and now you're going to get them. <laughs> Jesus does no such thing. In the midst of everything where the disciples are wanting Jesus to go this direction, Jesus stops in the midst of knowing he's going to be arrested and betrayed. He, the, the Gospels tell us he, he picks up the ear of this slave and puts it back on and and with Holy Spirit, he heals this, this ear of this guy who's coming to arrest Jesus. And Jesus is just everything backwards from what people are expecting. People are expecting him to walk in, in, in you know, military leader wrath, revenge. And Jesus just keeps walking in love and as a servant. And, and it's, it's just the backwardsness of, of the kingdom. And so then they grab Jesus. They, they take him away to their little court the, of the, the religious court of the day. And it says the leading priests in the entire high council were trying to find evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death because the Jewish religious leaders couldn't actually kill anybody because they were under Roman occupation. It was only the Romans. So they needed to have a really good reason to bring to the Romans so that the Romans would kill him. And so they're trying to find a really good reason. So they were trying to find evidence so against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they couldn't find any. Many false witnesses spoke against him, but they contradicted each other. They're they're getting nowhere. They can't find anything good enough to bring to the Romans. And so the high priest stood up before the others and asked Jesus, Well, aren't you going to answer these charges? What do you have to say for yourself? But Jesus was silent and made no reply. Then the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? You certainly made that statement when you came in on a donkey, you're you're saying it loud and clear, are you the Messiah? So I'm asking you personally, are you the Messiah? And Jesus says, I am, which is, if you know your Old Testament, I am was the name of God. When we sing that song, Yahweh, this is the idea of of I am, I, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am God. And you will see the son of man seated in place of power and God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. In other words, Jesus says, yep, I'm the one. I am the Messiah that, that you have been waiting for. And at that, the religious leaders were like, oh, finally, this is great. And they worshiped Jesus and like, this is awesome. Not at all, they were ticked. Then the high priest tore his clothing to show his horror and said, why do we need other witnesses? You have all heard his blasphemy. What is your verdict? Guilty, they all cried. He deserves to die. So the religious court condemns the very son of God. Because often, God sometimes is going in a different direction than we are. Sometimes God looks very different than we hope him to look like. And, and Jesus was not the Messiah figure they were looking for. He's just completely doing the opposite of what they think. And so they actually condemn the son of God so now we have to bring this Jesus to the Roman court and that's the whole story of Pilate Pontius Pilate and so we skip ahead and uh, Pontius Pilate very quickly realizes that this this is not like a legit arrest he knows this is from jealousy he knows this is out of envy and so he comes up with this plan because he kind of likes Jesus you kind of picked it up in the text a little bit that he he wants to release Jesus and so he comes with this plan and says, well, well, let's read it. And now it was the customer, uh, governor's custom. This is the Rome, Roman governor. Custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner. Anyone the people requested. One of the prisoners at that time was Barabbas. A revolutionary revolutionary who could committed murder in an uprising. And probably he, committed, he killed some Roman soldiers or something like that and uh and so he comes up with this option and so the crowd went to pilate and asked him to release a prisoner as usual and so pilate says would you like me to release to you this king of the jews in other words the the messiah this guy who says he's the messiah for he realized now that the leading priests had arrested jesus out of envy but at this point, the leading priest stirred up the crowd. And again, this was, the, this was the Jerusalem crowd that didn't really know Jesus. The religious people stirs up the Jerusalem crowd to demand the release of Barabbas instead of Jesus. And Pilate asked them, then what should I do with this man you call the king of the Jews? And then we have these famous lines where the crowd shouts back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime he has committed. Again, Pilate realizes that this is, this is not going in the right direction, but history tells us that Pilate was in a bit of an iffy state as Roman governor. He had messed up a few times, and there had been some uprising, and his job was to keep things quiet, and he senses the, the tension in the crowd, so he has to end up going with this idea of crucifying Jesus. But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. So to pacify the crowd, again, it doesn't seem like this was Pilate's uh, choice that he would have made, but to pacify the crowd and to keep his position and to keep the uprising stuff down, Pilate releases Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. And, and when someone would be crucified, it would begin with the, the flogging. Sometimes prisoners wouldn't even make it through the flogging and would end up dying because it was such a brutal I mean, it turns your back into hamburger, this, this whip with these tips on it. And so Jesus is heading towards crucifixion, which, if you're a Roman citizen, it doesn't matter, you could do the worst thing as a Roman citizen, you would never be crucified because it was the most awful kind of torture of the day. The whole purpose of crucifixion was to scare everyone to a place where they're like, I'm not messing with Rome, no way, I'm not going to mess with Rome because that's going to happen to me. It was, it was a fear tactic, and it was incredibly brutal. And, uh, you know, Josephus, who was a historian, tells us that, you know, we have these certain words that we don't like, you know, peop, our kids to say, you know, like the F word or whatever. Uh, back then, it was like families, like, don't ever say the word crucifixion. It was just such an awful, horrible thing. But Jesus' head is there, had, heading there. So the text goes on, says, the soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross. And two revolutionaries were crucified with them, one on his right and one on his left. And, uh, you know, sometimes pictures that we have kind of mess us up. Jesus was not crucified, like, way up in the air. All the uh, uh, archaeology, whatever, evidence, tells us people were crucified at eye level. Uh, They were crucified on olive trees or olive wood, which those trees don't even grow that high. I mean, it was, it was at eye level for a purpose because the purpose of crucifixion was to bring the most possible shame and pain upon that person. And so they were crucified at eye level so all of that person's enemies could walk by and look them in the eye, and the crowds can look you in the eye, and it was this shaming tactic. And, you know, like the pictures of Jesus wearing a little loincloth, people were crucified, absolutely naked, At eye level, tremendous pain and and sometimes there for days. And so Jesus is crucified and there's these two criminals on each side. And so the people passing by, perhaps looking Jesus right in the eye, these people from Jerusalem who didn't know Jesus, these people who are from the religious system, they shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Ha, look at you now. They yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, save yourself and come down from the cross. And and they're taunting Jesus. I mean, if I had the power of Jesus that moment, I would come down from the cross. (laughs) I mean, Jesus said at any moment, I could call thousands of angels to come and rescue me, but it, it goes against this whole plan, this whole upside down kingdom that he was actually creating. And he stays on there. And as the old saying goes, the only thing that held Jesus there was his love for you and me, his the purpose of the kingdom and purpose of what he was going to be doing. Because I know when I'm in pain and someone mocks me or lies about me, I'm like, you no, know, that's not right, and I'm going to show them. Yeah. I mean, people are just telling these things that are completely false. And... Uh, and uh, And so they're mocking Jesus. The the leading priests and teachers of religious law also mocked Jesus. And you can guarantee they were looking Jesus right in the eye. (laughs) They scoffed. You know, he saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so we can see it and believe him. Even the men who were crucified with Jesus ridiculed him. And so he's getting it from the two others who were crucified and all these people who were going by. I mean, what a shaming experience this would be. Tremendous pain on the edge of death. People looking you in your eye and just, Jesus is getting it from every single side. Luke says this in this moment. Maybe just picture the scene of nakedness and mockery and pain and spitting and beating and looking him in the eye. And, and it, Luke says this. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And in the next verses, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It's a completely upside-down kingdom. I mean, who would do that? (laughs) I mean we want to fight back or or something but jesus is like as these enemies are scoffing him father forgive them for they don't know what they are doing and we know this comes from the heart of god because jesus said every single word i say is exactly what the father wants me to say everything i do is exactly what the father so this is actually coming from the heart of god and and a curious question is did god answer that prayer And so Mark goes on. It says, "At noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock." And so there's stuff going on in the in the atmosphere, the whole world. And then at three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, "Eloi, Eloi, lama shabatani," which means, "My God, my God, why have you abandoned me?" And this would have been coming from the humanity of Jesus, because. I mean, you can't separate the Trinity. I mean, this idea that the Father turns his back on Jesus, I mean, that, most scholars reject that because you can't split the Trinity. <laughs> the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are one God. This is God hanging on the cross, but Jesus in his humanity, as he took on the sin of the world and our curse and our punishment would have felt in our humanity separated from God, no different than sometimes you and I. When we are in our darkness, we're like, God, where are you? We know God is there. We know God never leaves us nor forsakes us, but sometimes in our humanity, it feels that like God has abandoned us and Jesus was no different on the cross as he senses He just senses that God is distant in his humanity. Then Jesus, Jesus uttered another loud cry and breathed his last. And according to the other gospels, that loud last cry was, it is finished as the cross, the work of the cross, and our forgiveness and grace is done. And then the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn into two from top to bottom. And this is just, whether this actually happened or figuratively happened, we don't know, but it's just this gigantic curtain in the temple where the very holy of holies, the very presence of God was represented. I mean, back then, only one guy once a year could actually go into where the presence of God was represented. And Jesus dies on the cross and he's like, open house come on in. Yeah. But it's actually more than that. It's not open house, come on in. It's like you're becoming the temple. As it says in John 14, that God is going to come make his home in us, that we actually become the temple of God. We don't have to go somewhere to find the presence of God. The presence of God is always, we are the temple. The presence of God is always with you and in you. And no matter what you're going through, even if you're going through a cross moment where you're like, God, why, why have you forsaken me? You in this moment are the temple of God. And he is absolutely with you. Now, the cross of Christ, you know, the gospel is called this, this, the power of the cross. And what is so fascinating about the cross is, and let me just finish with this, is I think it is actually the most unique part of Christianity. It's absolutely the most unique part of Christianity, at least when you compare it to other belief systems and other religions. Because sometimes we might think, well, I know what's unique about Christianity. It's the resurrection. Well, there are other belief uh, systems and spiritualities out there who have their gods resurrected or whatever it might be. We might say, well, maybe it's the virgin birth and that's what makes Christianity uh, unique. Well, you have other belief systems out there who have these virgin births. And we might say, well, maybe it's because Jesus is called Lord and he's called Savior. He's called the Son of God. Well, Even the Caesars in Jesus' day were called Lord and Savior and Son of God. That was a common title. But this idea of a deity coming down and taking on shame, crucified, being mocked and ridiculed, is very unique. Very different. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 puts it this way. So when we preach that Christ was crucified... The Jews are offended, and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. I mean, this crucifixion thing was a really hard sell for early Christians because it was just, it was just foolish in their mind. I mean, it says the Jews were offended. Why? Because they thought the Messiah was going to be a military leader and a, and a political figure, and he's going to have all this power, and he's like, He ended up dying a criminal's death. And in a lot of like Old Testament theology, there's always this honor-shame kind of thing going on, like the blessings and cursings of Deuteronomy. In fact, in the Old Testament law, it actually says, cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. And so it was their idea that anybody who hung on a tree or ended up being crucified was obviously cursed by God. This couldn't be the Messiah. What do you mean this is the Messiah? It was offensive to the Jews. And the Gentiles say it's nonsense because of this idea of like, what? Your deity died on a cross? That, that seems so, so foolish. Any deity, of course, would make an explosion and show how great they are and not die on a cross. As one Old Testament scholar, Pete Enns, says, claiming a divine figure was helplessly beaten, tortured, and gruesomely, shamefully executed would have been proof positive that such a religion was a joke. That's how it was viewed back then. In fact, even in archaeology, we find like, like some ancient graffiti. This is an ancient graffiti of a Jesus with kind of a donkey head. And this little graffiti says, Alexamenos worships his God. And it says these ancient, because it's like this is an odd thing. Like, how could you ever conceive of a deity coming down and being shamed like that and dying on a cross? And that just makes no sense in the world of deities because we often want God to look like us. We often want God to look like our desires. And so the religious leaders, they had their desire. We want a military, political leader, God, or you know, we might be, we want a God who's who's just all about power and controlling everything around us. And Jesus comes in and like does something totally different. Because Jesus is an upside down kingdom. And this is where this idea, like in Romans chapter one, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work. You know, sometimes people use this verse like, you shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. You need to go like do some evangelism stuff. Don't be ashamed. Of this. It's not what Paul was talking about. He was talking about not being ashamed that the idea of Jesus being crucified, taking on shame, and this idea that a deity would come down and, and, and die like that and, and allow his enemies to mock him and, and be put in a grave. Like what in the world? But this, Is the upside down kingdom of Jesus. This is Jesus taking all those things that we think are important and saying, nope, (laughs) it's actually the opposite thing that is going on. And Hebrews 12 talks about the shame because of the joy awaiting him. This is the result of the cross. He endured the cross disregarding its shame because he hung there naked, beaten, enemies mocking, looking in his eyes, so much shame. But Jesus takes this and he just blows the kingdom in a completely different uh, direction in terms of, again, his one command. Love one another as I have loved you. And the cross in many ways is like, this is what it looks like. We see this in Philippians. Or actually, let me read Luke 22 because we see this here first too. Jesus told them, In this world, the kings and great men lorded over their people. And that's that's what they were wanting, someone to come and lord it over their people. Yet they are called friends of the people, but really aren't, right? But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? But the one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, not my kingdom, not the way I do things. It's not God's perspective. For I am among you as one who serves. And this cross is all about this connection between God and us as humanity where all the other gods are about, you know, my glory and, you know, my power and I control everything. And if you mock me, I'm going to shame you and I'm going to sick bad things on you. And God says, this is not the way the kingdom works. We see in Philippians... This whole thing becomes an example of how we are to live. Paul says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of yourselves as better, thinking of others, sorry, as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. What When he was healing people, no, 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 not there. Uh, When Jesus was teaching, no, no, not, not there, specifically here. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. I mean, this God, our God, the triune God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is a God that's not just up there, you know, just always worried about his glory. He's a God who says, no, 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 I want to be with you. And I'm coming down into your world and I'm going to connect with your heart and I'm going to hang out with tax collectors and sinners. But more than that, I'm going to enter your pain. I'm going to enter your suffering. I'm going to suffer as you have suffered. In Hebrews, it says, Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. And I don't know you, but I got a messy life and it's it's wacky sometimes. And yet Jesus says, Hey, Jesse, you're my brother. He looks at you and says, hey, you're my sister. You're my brother. I mean, what other God does that? <laughs> this kind of God is upside down from what we expect of a God. And, and it says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus knows pain. He's not some God who's like, well, I know you're suffering, but I have no idea like, what that is like because, you know, I'm up in heaven and I just have a chill life. It's like, no, Jesus, he knows what suffering is like. Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. This is what makes Christianity so unique because we have a God who connects with us and says, I'm seeing you as a brother and sister and I'm entering your pain and I'm walking with you and I am in you and I am with you and I see you and I understand. But not only that, yeah, amen. We'll finish with this. Talking on the cross, this is Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, this is an Old Testament verse, this is why people freaked out, like, this is why the Jews were offended. Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus hung on a tree, he must be cursed by God, but it was there where he's not like only connecting with us and giving us an example where he, in this mysterious spiritual way, he absorbs our curse. And he took on the curse and he took on the, the the realm of the enemy and he absorbs it into his divine being and releases this righteousness and this glory and this forgiveness that is big enough even for him to say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And if he says that about those who are looking in Jesus' eye and ridiculing them, how much more is his forgiveness beautiful for you? I mean, this is the power of the cross. It reminds us, That God is really with you. And he sees you. And he understands. And he is walking with you. And he loves you. So, Father, as we enter into Holy Week, we just say thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your work. Thank you that you're with us. God, thank you that you understand. God, thank you that you are perfect love. And we don't have to guess what what that love looks like. It says we know what love is by looking at the cross, that Jesus laid down his life for us. Thank you, God, that we can connect with you. Thank you for calling us brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.